0: Well, let me pray for us as we stand together. But Heavenly Father, we rely on you for everything. And as we come to look at the Bible together, we, uh, we come to you reliant on you to give us understanding of these words, uh, to give us faith to put in you through them, and obedience uh, to do what you say. Uh, please help us with all of those things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, do sit down. It would be a great help um, to have the Bible open in front of you. So if you can find your way back uh, to the page we were looking at, uh, the end of Acts chapter 7, that would be great. I imagine it's a conversation that many of you who are mothers uh, will have had on numerous occasions. Uh, the beginning of family mealtime, your selection of healthy foods has been cunningly disguised in another unfamiliar combination on their plate. Uh, but there's a suspicious look, and then the question, what is it? <laughs> well, just eat it. Does that mean I'll hate it? No, you'll like it. What's in it? It's good for you. Or all those green things. Look, you might actually enjoy them. They're never convinced, are they? See, are fussy eaters. I just don't know what's good for them. And our reading from Acts finished uh, with these words uh, in chapter 8, verse 8. Uh, Luke writes, uh, So there was great joy in that city. And I almost feel that Luke, who wrote this part of the Bible, is trying to be a little like the mealtime mother, uh, trying to convince us there's something here to enjoy. Uh, something in the previous verses that will leave us not only nourished, feeling with something inside us that will keep us going this week, but also something about which we'll want to say, now, that was good. It's just that if you were even half listening, you may be suspicious enough to start saying about these verses, I don't like it. Because if you ask the question, what's in it? What's in here? Well, the honest answer appears to be in chapter 7, verse 54 angry words and mob justice, verse 57. Served up with a brutal murder in verse 58 and a heartbreaking funeral in chapter 8, verse 2. Followed by religious violence and the creation of hundreds of refugees in chapter 8, verse 1. And seven verses later, we're told it all concludes with a joyful celebration. So I doubt you'd be alone in thinking, I'm not prepared to swallow that one. The whole incident—we didn't read it, but it, it kicks off back in chapter six, verse eight. at uh, Stephen, a Christian man, a deacon in the Jerusalem church, one of the, the first PCC members, I, I guess. Well, he'd gotten into a theological dispute with some of the Jews. Uh, doesn't it just confirm your thoughts? Talking about theology and doctrine, that always leads to trouble, doesn't it? You best avoid it. Well, if you read chapter six, Stephen's head is full of theology. And that's the head that gets smashed in with Jerusalem boulders. So you focus your attention on Stephen and, and straight away you know that what you've got on your plate, far from leading to joy, is more likely to leave a nasty taste. See, but that's the thing. Although Stephen looks like the main ingredient, well, this story's not really about him, is it? This story is ultimately about Jesus. Remember the verses Ed took us through last Sunday, if you were here. Uh, Right at the beginning of the book, they're on the little handout you've got, if you want to just quickly look at that. Uh, This is how the book begins. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And then he said to them, that's the apostles, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Ah, the verse Kate reminded us of earlier. You see, this is a book about Jesus' continuing work, which is, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to spread the good news about himself through the message of his witnesses, and the message that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Through his death, resurrection, and ascension, he's able to forgive us and restore people to God. The good news that it's offered to everyone. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's to be proclaimed in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And one day he'll come back for those who trust and love him, restoring life to what God intended. See, chapters 6 to 8 might tell us about opposition, but it's Jesus' response we're to look for. I so said, come back with me to these verses and let me show you three things about him. They're on the handout if you want to, to follow through with that. Well, here's the first thing. In the face of opposition, Jesus continues to keep his promise. Now, integrity is important, isn't it? How, how far can you trust someone? Will they keep their word? Or will they be able to keep their word? Even when things are tough. If you're going to trust Jesus... What kind of person is he? Does he have integrity? Can you stake your life on him? Oh, Jesus said he'd made it possible for anyone to be forgiven. We saw that last week. And he's committed himself as a matter of his own integrity to making it known everywhere. See, Acts 7 might not be the first challenge, but it's certainly the most brutal so far. And as Stephen is brought face to face with the most hostile opposition See, what do we see the Holy Spirit doing? Chapter 7, verse 55. Did you notice as we read it? Well, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So the Holy Spirit isn't drawing attention to himself, he's empowering someone to speak about Jesus. Just as Jesus promised, he's kept his word. And what does Stephen do in verse 56? That even under extreme pressure, he passes on the witness that Jesus is Lord. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. See, the witness to Jesus in Acts seems unstoppable. As I was uh, thinking about this during the week, my mind wandered back to the Rugby World Cup in 1995. At the semi-final, where England were properly introduced to a New Zealand winger by the name of Jonah Lumu. Do you remember him? One headline after the match said it all. Human rhino tramples England. I love headlines like that. Do you remember that match? He was unstoppable. Swatting away England's Will Carling and Tony Underwood. Uh, Regardless of the obstacles, no matter what they threw at him, he kept coming. See Acts 7? Threatened with death. But Stephen has power enough to speak. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Facing their new refugee status. What did these exiles from Jerusalem do? Well, they preached the word wherever they went. Now, where did Jonah Lumu's power come from? Well, imagine being 6 foot 5 and 18 stone 8 pounds contributed something to it. Where did little Stephen's power come from? Well, Jesus. Keeping his promise. So regardless of the obstacles, no matter what they throw at him, Jesus keeps coming. He will not allow anything to stop the message of forgiveness through his death on the cross going to the whole world. And it's important that you know that. That you understand what Luke's telling you. This Jesus is powerful enough that when he makes promises... He keeps them. See, I'm never going to play international rugby, but if I had the choice of playing with or against the Jonah Lumu of 1995, regardless of who the opposition was, I know which I prefer. See, none of us will ever have to make that choice, though. But Luke writing this knows the choice that we all have to make. is whether we'll take our stand for or against Jesus. Now, do you find yourself buckling when you feel a little under pressure during the week? Have you ever found yourself not wanting to draw attention to the fact that you're a Christian? See, Luke wants you to know if you stand with Jesus, if you give your life to his good purpose, no matter who the opposition is, whether it's authorities kicking missionaries out of countries, as we've heard about Neil and Lucy Rogers, uh, some missionaries from our church family, as we've heard about them this week, or whether, whether it's schoolmates who find those clever ways to make you feel stupid because you say you're a Christian. Or whether it's your own struggles, feeling you never just have the right words to explain what you believe about Jesus. No matter what the opposition is, he'll keep all his promises. So you keep trusting him. Well, here's the, the second thing. See, in the face of opposition, Jesus continues to transform people by his word I love going to the cinema I guess many of, you too, uh, many of you do as well I love films in the whole experience one of the things that frustrates me a little and you can tell me if this is the same for you is, is when you go with a friend and as the film starts and the actors appear on the screen they turn to you and say he looks really familiar I think I've seen him in something else and instead of watching the film they spend the next 20 minutes saying to you what was he in? it'll come to me It'll come to me. Do you know? Do you know the film, I mean? It's hardly surprising, is it? He's an actor. You're bound to recognize him. This is what he does. But forget about that and watch this film. Honestly, some people. See, Luke, writing Acts, he's not like me. He's not a grumpy cinema companion. In fact, as you read through this part of Acts, he's waiting for you to say about Stephen... I think I recognize him. See, throughout this story, as people look at Stephen, there's a kind of recognition going on. I'll turn back to chapter 6 and verse 15, just, just briefly. It's just when Stephen was being forced to stand trial and trumped up charges. And he's dragged into the court and, and people start to say, in effect, well, he reminds me of someone. You see what it says, all, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, that was the kind of religious court, looked... Intently at Stephen, and and he saw his face was like the face of an angel. There's something about him. I dragged into court like a criminal, but he he doesn't look like he belongs here. No, he looks like he belongs somewhere like like heaven. Well, the trial goes badly, and it makes sense if you read through it because one of the issues seems to be they don't like it that Stephen's message of Jesus is going to be offered to everyone everywhere. Now they want Jerusalem and really themselves to be the centre of everything. And that will be opposing Jesus who offers forgiveness to anyone. And we know Jesus won't back down. He loves people too much. So in chapter 6, Stephen gives them a theology lesson and among other things, shows them from the Bible and uh, from the Old Testament that God is not just in Jerusalem. He's the God of the whole world. It's not Jerusalem that's special. It's God oppose jesus stephen says and you're opposed to god they don't like it that's chapter 7 verse 54 when they heard this they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him and verse 57 at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices they they rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him and in the middle of all that Luke's saying keep your eyes on stephen does anything seem familiar you just look at verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he died. Did you remember anyone who, even at death, continued in unwavering confidence in God's care? Knowing that his life was put into God's hand. Do you remember anyone who, even at death, continued in unwavering compassion, even towards those who were killing him? You start to recognize him? Now, Stephen's death looks a little bit like Jesus' death. See, Luke wants us to recognize that Stephen's been transformed by Jesus. Stephen's no more an expendable casualty in Jesus' mission for the world, any more than you or I would be. Now he's just displaying the true fruit of the gospel. Here's a man so convinced that Jesus has made his life secure, he'd give it up to serve Jesus. Give his life to tell his enemies how they can be saved and pray for them while they kill him. Howard Guinness was a a student in the early days of the Christian Union movement. He and his friends had a a vision to establish CU's in every country in the world. His classmates at London University sent him to Canada to establish a CU movement there. Uh, Their savings apparently stretched to a one-way ticket and a winter coat. And with that, they sent him off. And after doing that, later he went on to Australia, helped found the movement there. Speaking once, he said this, Where are those who will lose their lives for Christ's sake? Flinging them away for love of him. Where are those who will live dangerously and be reckless in his service? Where are his lovers? Those who love him and the souls of men more than their own reputations or comfort or very life. See, how does Jesus work that kind of change in someone? How does he do it in Stephen? Or in someone like Howard Guinness? could he do it in you and me? I want him to. Don't you? See, in our first reading from Exodus, we, we heard about Moses returning from a mountaintop meeting with God, and we, we heard this. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. And Moses met with the Lord, spoke to him, and the change was tangible, recognizable. See, what about Stephen? We're not talking about any divine encounters, are we? Actually, I think we are. Oh, that's chapter 7 if you read it, isn't it? Now, chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, Stephen's unexpectedly seized and he's dragged into court with no time to prepare. He's accused of various things. With no time to prepare, he's asked to give a theological defense for the message he's proclaiming. And the next 50 verses of chapter 7, he takes them from memory through Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, Isaiah and Amos. Is that not breathtaking? Uh, how many of us would be able to do that? So here's a man who's had encounters with the living God. Here's a man who's listened to God speak. Here's a man who's got to know the Jesus that the Holy Spirit speaks of all through the Old Testament. Here's a true theologian. Someone who through his study has got to know Jesus and in getting to know him probably isn't even aware how much he's become like him. See, if we want to be changed to be like Jesus, then learn what Luke wants to tell us about him. Jesus transforms people even in the face of opposition through his word. Or sometimes you hear people talk about theology and doctrine almost as if they're things to be avoided. Or some will ask, well, well, doesn't theology turn people into kind of religious radicals? See, I think Luke shown us in these chapters two different kinds of religious radicals. Now, those who are willing to engage and debate... And those who shout and scream and won't listen. Are those who want to open the Bible. And those who are willing to distort God's word. And those who are willing to attack their enemies. And those who tell them the truth and pray for them. See the difference between them isn't theology or no theology. It's more like bad theology or true theology. So others will ask you as well, well, doesn't doctrine just cause division in the church? Best to avoid it. Well, it's true, Christians have divided at times when there was no need. It's not the whole story, is it? There have been times when division in the church has served to guard the integrity of the gospel, preserving a faithful witness for the generations to follow, at the Apostle Paul defending that the gospel is for Jews and non-Jewish people. Athanasius in the 4th century refusing to compromise with Arius and his followers who denied that Jesus was really God. Or the reformers reasserting that a person is made right with God through faith in Jesus alone. See, while doctrine might divide us at times, it's the very thing Jesus uses to transform and protect us. See, that's what Luke shows us through Stephen. It's more than that when a man really knows the truth of God It makes him compassionate, not cruel. Only truth leads to true compassion. I hope bishops leaving the Lambeth conference this weekend, remember that. I came across this in a book by a man called Bob Coughlin on worship. This is what he writes on this subject. He says this, theology and doctrine make life simpler. They protect us. They put meat on the concepts we tend to use mindlessly like glory, gospel, salvation and love. They help us understand what we're actually doing every Sunday. What complicates life is not doctrine, but ignorance of doctrine. I I don't particularly like opposition. I don't like it when people disagree. I'd rather avoid difficulty and certainly discomfort. But they will come our way to a greater or lesser extent. However, even in the face of it, Jesus can transform your life so that you'll be like him. So give yourself to the study of his word. Give yourself to trusting it and sharing it, even if people hate you because of that word. Oh, here's the last thing. In the face of opposition, Jesus keeps giving joy-producing grace. Grace that produces joy. Joy. I don't really like uh, the local news on the TV. I tend to switch it off. You ever watch local news? They, they seem to, to put inappropriate stories side by side. That's what I always find watching it. You watch as they take you to a home burned to the ground, family members were still inside, and then follow with trivial nonsense. A woman doing a sponsored crawl over a bridge to raise money for a cat sanctuary, or something like that. Unrelated stories. It always seems to me one trivializing the other. Now, Luke Texas. And the chapter that we've read from a tearful graveside in chapter 8 verse 2 to a city-wide celebration in chapter 8 verse 8. But it's incredible viewing as you read through it because they're not unrelated. The celebration doesn't trivialize the tears. In fact, it's what gives you hope in light of the tears. Because as Jesus' enemies do their worst to stop his message, Do you get this? He uses their own strategy against them. Through their evil intention, he spreads his good news for the joy of all people. And you start to recognize something else in Stephen. For just as Jesus' death led to new life in his name, so in a much smaller way, even Stephen's death now leads to new life and joy as people hear about Jesus. It's an encouraging thought, isn't it, that Jesus would use your gifts in his service for the joy of other people. It's an incredible thought that Jesus is so powerful that he can even use the worst that can happen to you for his own glory and to produce joy. See, what's the worst that can happen to you? You can even even trust that into Jesus' hands and he'll produce joy in the end by his grace. Is that not someone we need to tell our friends and neighbours about? With power like that, who would dare oppose Jesus? See, if you'd never heard of him before, you'd be right to feel nervous for this man Saul that we're introduced to. A man who violently persecuted the church and dragged men and women off to prison. What would Jesus do with a man like that if he got his hands on him? Let me finish with Saul's own words later in life. They're written in 1 Timothy. Let me just read out what Saul said. Uh, He said this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience, as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. See, that's what this Jesus would do with a man like Saul. And he did it as an example of how he'll treat you if you'll trust him. Is that not someone we need to tell our friends and neighbours about? See, fussy eaters. We just don't know what's good for us. In a moment we're going to hear the Lord's invitation to come to his table and eat. Remembering his death for us. As we do that, let's come in faith, trusting in this Lord who keeps his promises. Will transform us and will give us joy through his grace. Even in the face of opposition. Well, let's bow our heads together and Paul will lead us in prayer.